series of sermons on great heresies that aren't always like spellbinders for people. But we do want to talk about these heresies because what we're trying to do in this season of Advent is to get our hearts and our minds prepared for Christmas, to hear the message of Christmas, and to, and to be able to hear it in its fullness, in its deepest meaning, to be able to fully comprehend what it is when we say the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Welcome to Tea with the Preacher, the message series from Fairfield Presbyterian Church in Mechanicsville, Virginia. Today is December 4th, 2022, and we continue our Advent sermon series, Views of the Incarnation. Pastor Steve reads from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 20-25, through 25, as he talks about the heresy of Arianism, developed by the Bishop Arius, from whom the heresy gets its name. Series of sermons on great heresies aren't always like spellbinders for people. But we do want to talk about these heresies because what we're trying to do in this season of Advent is to get our hearts and our minds prepared for Christmas, to hear the message of Christmas, and to, and to be able to hear it in its fullness in its deepest meaning, to be able to fully comprehend what it is when we say the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Because I know that that for many of us, that whole idea, that whole concept of God taking upon Himself human form and and dwelling among us and, and doing so in the birth as a babe in Bethlehem, is a little bit hard for us to comprehend. And it becomes something of a, a stumbling block for us that we, that we have to get our minds around to begin to appreciate and fully understand the meaning of Jesus and what his life means to us to this day. And I know that this is a stumbling block, this whole idea of Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus as fully human, fully divine, is a, is a stumbling block for our society because it, it claims so much. It demands us to decide, is it true or is it not? And it is something that confounds many, many people. And, and so rather than deal with it, they try and shy away from that question altogether. As an example, I've had the privilege on a number of occasions to be the chaplain pro tem for the uh, Commonwealth of Virginia, either in the House of Delegates or in the Senate, which simply means I get to do the opening prayer for them. And before you do that, before you do that, they, they, they give you instructions. Now, I, I always think it's so ironic. I've been preaching for 40 some odd years and they give me instructions on how to pray. Yeah. And coming from 
a governmental body that really does kind of make you stop and think. But in this list of instructions, there are a number of very common sense, you shouldn't have to tell anybody sorts of things that they remind you that you're not there to politic for a certain bill or for a certain party. You're not there to speak against a certain bill. You're not there. You know, it goes through a little litany of things that you should know that that's not what you're there for. But then they add to it, you will not pray in the name of Jesus. That's right there in the list of do's and don'ts. And I figure it's because the name of Jesus is such a stumbling block for so many people because they cannot wrap their minds around the thought of somebody being fully human and fully divine. They can't wrap their minds around the thinking that God could become flesh and dwell among us, that God incarnate, God in human form, is more than they can comprehend. So they'd rather not deal with it. They'd rather not have anybody making a faith claim such as that from the dais of the Commonwealth of Virginia's General Assembly. But I don't think this is anything new because it's been going on from, from day one. And, and I'd like us to take a look at a passage of Scripture found in, in 1 Corinthians, in the first chapter, beginning, I believe, with the 20th verse. Verses 20 through 25. And Paul is asking this question. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks demand wisdom. But we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. May the Lord bless us a portion from his holy word. So from the beginning of Jesus' life and ministry, from the beginning of his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, it has been an issue for people to try to understand who he is and what he means for us. It has been something that has been difficult to comprehend, and we, and we try and deal with this logically and reasonably, because that's, that's who we are. We tend to be people who think logically and reasonably. We, we want to understand. We want to, we want to comprehend. We, we want to wrap our minds around who this person is, and what difference does he make in this world. And so from the beginning of time, we have been struggling with this. And early on in the life of the church, there was a, a bishop in, in, in what is now a region in Turkey by the name of Arius. And he came up with the idea because he didn't like the thought of God becoming flesh and dwelling among us. He thought, my phrase, my terminology, he thought it was 
rather unbecoming of God to do that. He thought that, that any God worth his salt would not ever do something such as that. That a God who is great and above us and almighty and omniscient and omnipresent and all those other sorts of acclamations wouldn't be someone who would get his his feet dirty on an unpaved walk. He could not comprehend, he could not abide by the thought of God being hungry, of God being thirsty, of God working up a sweat on a hot summer's day. And so what he thought then was that that we couldn't just think of, if you recall from last week, we couldn't think of Jesus as being just a human being who was chosen and, and given this responsibility to proclaim God's good news. But what he thought about was that, that Jesus was God's firstborn. That, okay, here's, here's your 50 cent word for today. Don't worry, I'll get my money from Tracy. He thought that Jesus was the proto-Adam. You like that one? The proto-Adam. That Jesus was the one who was the first created human. That he was the prototype for Adam and all of the rest of humanity. But that Jesus stayed in heaven with God and did not come down to earth until the time was right. So Jesus was human, was fully human, but an exceptional fully human person. Someone unlike any other human beings. That he was the prototype that didn't go wrong. Because we know that there is a mess up with human, you know, point two zero or whatever they call it nowadays. That Adam messed things up and, and it was downhill from there. That Jesus was the one who didn't mess up. That he was the prototype that didn't mess up. And so therefore, that uh, that Jesus was fully human, was not God, but had been close enough to God over all of that time in the heavenly kingdom that he could represent God here on earth. That he was the best spokesman for God here on earth because he'd spent all of that time in the heavenly kingdom before coming down and living among us with his fellow human beings. Now, I don't blame Arius for coming up with that. I really don't. Because what he was trying to do was to take something that is incomprehensible, something that that defies our logic and reason, something that was absolutely different from any other faith, any other religion, any other experience of God that anybody had ever proclaimed. He was trying to make that all understandable for us. He was trying to take those those stumbling blocks away so that more people could believe in Jesus, 
so that more people could be followers of Jesus, so that more people could, could live their lives in the manner that Jesus exemplified for us. I don't blame him. His heart was in the right place. But, but here's the rub. Here's the problem. If Jesus was just human, then you've taken the power of the cross away as well. You've taken the power of the cross away as well. Because if Jesus' sacrifice upon the cross was just one human being dying, then where would the redemption be? Where would the redemption be? You and I, in a few moments, will be celebrating this wonderful meal, which serves to us as a reminder of the Word becoming flesh, of God, Emmanuel, of one who is fully human and fully divine, sacrificing himself upon the cross. It is a reminder of God's absolute and unconditional love toward each and every one of us. Not only did God get dirty feet when he walked in the dusty roads, not only did he get hungry, not only did he get thirsty, not only did he get tired, but he experienced the depth of human existence upon the cross. He took upon himself the weight of everything that it means to be human. And as God with us, he bore that weight upon his shoulders on that cross. Absolute love took him to the cross. Absolute love kept him on that cross. In that moment when his body was broken and his blood was shed, God experienced the depths of human existence. The pain, the sorrow, the abandonment, the suffering, the loneliness, Every bad thing about being human was upon him in that hour. And God experienced it on our behalf so that the barrier between God and humanity would be broken forever because God reached out to us in Jesus Christ. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God with us, Emmanuel with us, even unto death upon the cross. Arius was trying to make it more comprehensible. But how do you fully comprehend absolute love? How do you fully grasp absolute, unconditional love? It's almost impossible. But we know it's true. Even what our minds can't wrap themselves around, 
is still something that is true. Stumbling block to some, folly to others, but it's God's wisdom to reach out to us in this way, to bring us home to be his sons and daughters so that we might live together as brothers and sisters and begin to make this world the place that he designed it to be. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Not some mirage, not just some illusion, not just some human being, but the one who is fully human and fully divine, living and dying and rising again from the grave for all of us. Would you pray with me? Almighty and ever-loving God, we do give you thanks for the greatest gift this world has ever seen. Your incarnation, your dwelling among us, you're showing us the way of absolute love. Oh, Heavenly Father, help us to get beyond our difficulties and understanding and just learn to accept your love in each of our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Thank you for listening to Tea with the Preacher. To find more information about Fairfield, visit our website at fairfieldpcusa.org. Next week, we'll dig into the heresy of docetism. If you like what you've heard today, we invite you to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite listening app.